Welcome, everyone, to episode 44 of the Gen X Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Piper, and with me today are my co-hosts, Suzanne Peterson and Julie Piper. Hello to you both. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Great. Either either one of you. <laughs> <laughs> like, who goes first? I don't know. I'm doing great. We're just over here sweating in Colorado. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's pretty uh pretty mild here, so not hopefully don't make you too jealous, but <laughs> you are making me jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. And uh so this is again episode 44 and with us today is a special guest from Canada. His name is Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival podcast. It's a great honor to have you, Bill. Welcome. Hey, thank you, Mario. Uh I'm glad to be here. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, before we get started with our interview with uh, Bill Smith, we're going to start with our usual um, kind of review of the week or what we've been doing photographically. And Suzanne, why don't you get us started? Uh, what's been happening with you lately? Uh, let's see here. So I had some time in the darkroom yesterday, actually, and had some very successful prints right out of the gate, which is very nice because the last time I was in there, not as good. Um, so I just had some fun printing up some pictures from our trip to Kansas and a couple of weeks before that. And today I'm actually hoping to get back down there and maybe do a couple list prints because I haven't done that in quite a while. Yeah. Um, was that the reel that you had on Instagram? I think it was yesterday yes. or the day before. Okay. Yeah. Yesterday that was pretty I, awesome. just a, I was developing, it was uh, a bird bath. Okay. Yes, house. that's yeah. right. It was... Yeah, so I ended up doing three prints and they all... I mean, boy, it, it really keeps me honing in my exposures, makes it so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, everything worked out within a couple prints, and I was very pleased. So, I feel printing. successful. <laughs> printing is so fun, isn't it? It is great. Yeah, very it's very a lot fun. Of fun. Yeah, Julie, how's your week been going? It's been going okay. I've had a string of bad rolls of film, so I'm kind of bummed about that. I think I have like five different roles where only a few on each one ended up being ones I like. So that's been sad, but um, had some fun with the dark room too, a little bit, not too much, but we set up a new enlarger that we got. That's way better than the one that we had before. And it has like, I don't know any of the right words. I've known nothing about anything basically, but it has knobs you turn that have filters apparently. So it, the prints came out so much better yeah, and yeah. so easy versus bad one after bad one after bad one making adjustments with the last and larger so that was cool and um been doing some experiments with my daughter our mm -hmm. daughter um we're felt we've souped some film which is drying so we can try shooting it and see what happens mm -hmm. we souped it in mixtures of tea and flower petals and I think my daughter did pine needles and leaves and grass in one to see what that would do. So hopefully we'll get some cool effects, which you're going to pay for. Yeah. She's <laughs> once started a business selling souped film. And I said, well, your dad spends lots of money on funky film. So <laughs> that's true. I'm, I'm going to be your first customer. <laughs> mm. All right, Bill, how has your week been going? It was it was a good week. Like I haven't done really much. Did some scanning yesterday, 
my big photography day was I was out Thursday with a friend of mine. Like I live in a suburb of Toronto, so halfway between Toronto and Hamilton, Ontario, for those looking on a map. So I went into the city for the day, met up with a friend of mine, and we sort of explored a bit of Toronto's harbor front, and then we went to Toronto Island. So I wound up shooting a couple of rolls of Superior 400 through my Nikon F5 and a roll of uh, Burger Pancro 400 in my Nikon FM2N with the motor drive. And I was getting reacquainted with that. So the motor drive, I had to resuscitate mine and it was like, ooh, this is fun. Yeah, because it's a lot, you know, you can if for, for street work, you don't have to worry about advancing the film. You just meter, press button, done on to the next one. And yeah, tomorrow, a friend of mine, oddly enough, from high school, who's all he's a digital shooter. He's in town for a couple of days. So we're headed out to, up to a small town called Laura, Ontario tomorrow morning oh. for the day. Cool. Fine. Yeah. So. Stay out of trouble and off the well, not off the street, but stay out of trouble. <laughs> what do you What do you plan on shooting as far as film uh, tomorrow? Eastman Double X through an Olympus OM1. Oh, MD. nice! Downloaded nice. to rock. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I know for me, uh, it seems like the, the more I'm into film photography, the more I do, and so it's hard to boil it down to one or two things, but. Uh, Yesterday, no, the day before yesterday, uh, Julie, my wife, and I went to uh, a local camera repair center. And going into that place is almost like going into a museum. Uh, it's just gobs and gobs of beautiful cameras. And uh, I was picking up uh, an MD, a Roker lens, a 58 millimeter F1.4, uh, that was just really hard to turn. The I think the lubrication had dried out, so he, you know, took it apart and re-lubricated. It and now it's just it's a beautiful, beautifully working uh, lens. Um, but at the same time, he taught me about my Spotmatic F that it. Well, I, I knew that it had a, a light meter. I just didn't realize it was working. Um, but that's because I didn't realize that there are different kinds of um, of uh, uh, Takamar lenses. There are some that are. F mounts and some that aren't. <laughs> oh yeah, you got with the the Spotmatic F is a tricky beast. You need super multi-coated Takamar lenses and younger because it's got that extra yeah. pin. And right. you know, if you put the older super Takamars on, well, that's lovely. You just have to run the meter like you did. It was in a Spotmatic too. Like I've got a couple of Spotmatics. I love them. Uh, yeah. If, of the Pentax gear I plan to keep, it'll be it'll probably just be the Spotmatics because I've got some K-mount gear that I'm just not shooting. I'm either, if my nephew if showed my nephew interest in interest, it's going to be here. Yeah, that's true. I I really love the Spotmatics. I've got a Spotmatic 2 and a Spotmatic F, and they're just lovely, lovely cameras. But that 50 mil 1.4 F-mount, uh, um, I just didn't realize that it was it was capable of working with the meter on the Spotmatic F. So that was a really good thing to to learn. You just have to remember to keep the lens cap on when you're not using the camera. Or <laughs> battery goes dead. Yeah. <laughs> How you <That's>, know? <laughs> well, I can imagine. <laughs> but the other thing, um, so Julie and I, uh, well, Julie found a, a an ad on on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, one of the two, about some uh, film for sale uh, nearby. I think it was in Maine. 
And so we we drove and picked it up. I think we got like 200 rolls of film, black and white color, 120, also four by five and lots of 35 millimeter. And included in those was five rolls of Kodak Tech Pan. And I've heard a lot about it, never shot it. I shot one roll, developed it in HC 110, 1 to 100 uh, stand developing. And I've got a couple of pictures that turned out pretty well, but I'm going to go on to the phot photographer's formulary and get the um, Technodol, I guess. Yeah, it's Technodol. Yeah. I've never shot TechPan. I was 10 years ago, a, a class I, I took, I, I did some, I went and did a public relations post-degree diploma through um, in Toronto at, a, at a Ryerson University, and a colleague of mine was an RCMP officer. And at the time, she was working with Metro Toronto Police. Uh, she rejoined the RCMP. She and her husband, who's also a Mountie, got stationed up in the Arctic. I know, big oh, wow. cliche. Uh, she gifted me a pile of film. She was the local forensics lab had a fridge that hadn't been open in ages, and they opened oh. it. Oh, <laughs> Kodak Max. I had 20 rolls of Kodak Max 400. Uh, probably a half dozen rolls of tech pan and some tech pan sheet film. And I just looked at it going, I really don't know how to process this. So I, I just thought, hey, Christmas is coming up. I gave it to my brother. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Brother's also a film shooter. And, uh, you know, he, he also shoots four by five. So it's like, Alex, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept, I definitely kept the uh, Kodak Max, which... It's precursor is a precursor to the Ultramax 400. Yeah. Well, with the tech pan, it's kind of hard because, um, f first of all, these rolls didn't come in boxes. So I didn't know what the age or the speed. Well, I don't think tech pan has a speed, a printed speed. It At least I anything I've found online, there is no official film speed for the film. Mm. And so I was just trying to figure out how to shoot it. So I, I rated it at ISO 25 and then just shot from there and i think i really could have rated it at 50 or even 100 because i i think i over oh, overexposed it <laughs> again i have zero experience like uh i try not to get too exotic well off the beaten path but not too exotic like something like dead stock film like very chrome or stuff like that like uh we have a rather sizable film community in toronto and there are you know, camera shows a couple times, well, at least in the before times. Yeah. <laughs> but there's uh, one called, uh, a biannual event called The Big One, put on by the Photo Historical Society of Canada. And oh, there's man. a gentleman named Abraham who just shows up in a panel van, like the ones that serial killers drive, and he's loaded to the gills with expired film. And he's like, wow. he's like a dealer. It's like, oh, you want Panatonic? <laughs> and... We don't know where he finds it. Like I think he goes, does day trips into the U, into the U.S. and buys up wherever he can find it. But I don't know what uh, what his inventory is like now because again, the border was closed for a year for just civilians. <laughs> right, that's true. Well, it sounds like everybody's weeks have been uh, pretty well. Uh, somewhat well somewhat not maybe but uh, we're continuing to get through it and we'll have a hopefully a better week this week um so let's go ahead and get on into our interview um julie would you like to start sure 
Okay. I think you kind of, we found out a little bit about you already. You mentioned your brother is also a film shooter. And you mentioned that you have a camera from your dad. So um, my question, my first question was, what got you into photography and into cameras? Like, was there a person or something that happened mm. that like, someone like, hand you a camera and say, go play with this, or you saw someone, like, how'd you get into it? I, I again, I'm going to say it was my dad, indirectly and directly. Indirectly, because when he was in his 20s and 30s, he was into photography. Maybe not nowhere near to the same extent as everyone on this podcast, but he shot his fair amount of Kodachrome in his youth. He had an interesting collection of cameras. He had a three, a Leica M3, a 3G, Nikon F, a Nikomat FTN, a Topcon RE, and a little point-and-shoot half-frame Olympus. So he, he, I, I still have a, shoe, a couple of shoe boxes of slide film. I'm slowly going through, and I'm triaging, looking for family photos first, and then through the mountain of macro shots of flowers and stuff and find the interesting stuff because i grew up in montreal and i want to find shots of montreal in the 60s and in, in the surrounding area in the 60s and 70s and of course my dad you know what he did he shot expo 67 on the olympus half frame with kodachrome I, i'm still trying to figure out how to how to scan that with my epson v600 because I'm not separating the slide mounts. No. Mm -mm. You you mean how to scan a half frame? Half frame. Okay. They're mounted half frame slides. Mm. Well exposed, but you're left sitting here going, this is going to be a major pain in the butt when it comes to cropping. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it is what it is. Um, so when I was a wee little toddler, I had an interest in, of course, the necker mat. Like I am three, and that of course was not too happy. If, you know, two and a half year old Bill playing with his gear, so I wound up with the the precursor to the Diana toy camera. So, and there's a photo of me out there somewhere with the Diana in hand. I was into toy cameras before they were cool, <laughs> and you know, teenager, early adulthood, I really wasn't that into it. Like I. I had a, another toy camera called the Tammy that I think was 127 film. And I shot with that as a kid. But in my, my teens, it was sort of like, you know, interest in other stuff. Uh, so fast forward to my late 20s, around 30s, late 1990s. I was working in marketing for a large communications agency. And my mom and dad got me a Canon Rebel with that sort of subtle hint, Bill, you're working too hard, you need a hobby. <laughs> a year later, my brother is like, yeah, I'm going to get into this too. He, he works, he's, he, he's a CPA. He works uh, in, in, in public practice. And he said, yeah, I'm going to get into this. So he wound up taking courses through George Brown. He picked up a Minolta xg something or other to start and then i got a canon 81 and let's just say it all started going downhill from there <laughs> in the early zero zeros and then i started accumulating cameras and then when my dad and 
2005, that's when we had that news that dad was stage four and he sort of gathered my brother and I around the kitchen table and um, divvied up at the collection. So I wound up with the F, the M3, some related lenses. My brother got everything else and dad left us three weeks later, like he was waiting for the bus. So he he was one to dot his I's and cross the T's. He Mm -hmm. managed a billion dollars of pension fund money for Canadian Pacific. So it's not like, you know, he was one to have everything organized there. Yeah. And of course, you know, after that, I just went deep into film photography even further long. I guess during that long, dark period where everyone was just unloading their Hasselblads, Rolleiflexes, and everything else for whatever digital body they can find. And that's what sort of got me into it. And um, I was lucky that I found a community in Toronto that kind of like, up until like 2005, 2006, I relied on a lab. And then it was like uh, one of the people from the community saying, you should process your own black and white and it'll save a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I went up a year later, an AP canister and some reels, a dark bag and a timer and, you know, just sort of went at it. Yeah. The the rest is history, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. And um, Well, it's interesting uh, how you, you said that when you were... Um when you were young, you were interested in those two cameras, the Leica and the Nikon F, and then he gave those to you, uh, well, you know. the Leica M3 and the, the Nicker Mac, because my dad oh, Nick, shot yeah, a, lot I'm sorry, of, Mac. a lot of family photos uh, on the Nicker Mac in the 70s, because the, yeah. the, the Nikon F he had was a very early eye-level prism version, and, you know, it was sort of like, that's the camera that I have in my memory. Now, I fast-forwarding, it's like, the F is the big, you know, the system camera is the Nikomat was the quote unquote prosumer. But, you know, so my brother got the Nikomat FTN. I, at the following camera show, I bought a Nikomat FTN. So the end. Nikomats are beautiful cameras. They're a steel still. And I think part of it is like, unless you're used to like an Olympus OM1, the, the ergonomics are a little weird for some folks. And, uh, they are built to last. If you run out of film, you can beat somebody with it. You know? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, there. And again, I say anyone who's looking to get into the Nikon lens system, I say, well, get a Nikromat. Yeah. And absolutely. a pre automatic indexing glass is still pretty cheap in the grand scheme of things. Wow. Like, look now with Canon FD glass, some focal lengths have gotten insanely expensive mm-hmm. because the cinematographers are rehousing them. Oh. We, uh, Julie and I re- uh, recently, well, Julie found a Nikon, um, I think it's AIS, I'm thinking, I'm not sure, but it's a, fifth, I believe a 50 millimeter 1.4 mm. lens in perfect condition for $3. Oh, <laughs> Julie's like the finder of all things. I know, I know. <laughs> I find things, I don't know what they are, and I just... Well, bring the the <laughs> Perfect the condition. It's, it's like uh, my friend Alex Lux. We we, we tease him. Uh, he he he's rather involved with the. He belongs to a Presbyterian church up in Milton, and mm-hmm. one of his fellow congregants gave him a, the the role of Rolleiflex 2.8 F. This was my husband. He's no longer <laughs> here. I heard you. Still, I'm left sitting here going, really. 
Unbelievable. You know, a friend of my mom's going, yeah, my husband used to shoot with this Nikon SP rangefinder. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> you want to do a body transplant with him so you could get it and then... <laughs> Well, half Sorry, Alex. It's but but it's sort of funny because my brother and I are both gearheads and shooters, and we're both each other's worst enabler. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, and so we've we, we've sold. You know, I've given him stuff. He's given me stuff, and it's like, eh. and right now, I I, <laughs> I I tagged him on a for sale post for a Leica Flex SL, a black one, and he. Oh wow. Well, he's a partner in a global accounting firm now. He's got the money. He can afford it. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> hey, it's not the body. It's the lenses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Suzanne, uh, would you like to go on with your first question? Oh, sure, sure. Can I pop in a little bit about the Nikon FE? Absolutely. So, so I got just got the Nikon FE2, which I love. And yeah. I know Bill and I are common OM people. We mm -hmm. love those. So I took on my trip to Kansas, I took my OM with color film and I took the FE with black and white. Mm -hmm. And I was my whole goal was to like to shoot from the car. So I had a 70 to 200. I think I probably even messaged you about this way back in the day, Bill. Um, I think I got it for maybe $17 for my OM. I have I just and then I realized I couldn't shoot with the Nikon from the car because I didn't have a the zoom lens that I had actually didn't work on it. So I bought another one and it was 64 for the Nikkor. It's like and it, no, and it was still a Vivitar, so it wasn't even a Nikkor, it was a Nikon. Well, that is series one. Series one. Oh, you can't go wrong with the series one glass if it's the early stuff. That's why I, th I thought I remembered you saying that. So yeah, I got it from we have a local in, in Boulder and I try to frequent them. But yeah, and the thing is like about 10 pounds heavier the om is like so compact and it's it's so easy to use and then i get the knife i'm like i think they sent me the wrong lens and i look at it, i'm like nope that's it but it's a beast so funny anyway um i was gonna ask you so i know you have an extensive collection obviously yeah do you consider yourself more a collector or are you do you use everything you purchase or do, are you I, some just i I have a, only a tiny, I think I have a tiny number of shelf queens. Okay. I'm as a Pentax Model K from the late 50s. I used to shoot with it, but it's like one of those cases now, they're kind of delicate. Mm. And break, it's it's even more of a paperweight. Right. Oh, it's, they kind of sit there. But again, it's, I mean, ask me what, what, I tend to cycle through my gear. Okay. Some years I'll be shooting more medium format than 30 and vice versa. So right now I've been on sort of a Nikon kick and I've shot my Minolta XD cap recently on a day trip with my girlfriend and, and I've got Canon F a small, I wouldn't say a huge Canon FD system, but a decent sized one. Cool. How many people cycle through favorites, but like, I tend to lean towards Nikon in the winter months because especially the ones with like the Nikomat and the FM2 because they've got a couple shutters and they work well in cold weather. Whereas like, you know, anything else, especially anything with a horizontal shutter, it'll just struggle. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I know. Uh, I was at <laughs> one with an F2 uh, on a cold January day on the shores of Lake Ontario where I think the wind chill was uh, minus 12 Fahrenheit or some silly number like that. 
because it's an annual photo walk I do with John Meadows. It's like, yeah, we'll meet up, we'll go for a photo walk. And it's like, uh, my F2 struggled. You could just tell it's like. <laughs> do you think the FE2 will be that way? You think it'll struggle no. in the cold? Okay. No. You might have a shorter battery battery life, but. Okay. I can fun. have that. I'll bring extra batteries. That's cool. I love that you shoot. How, about, how, how cold does it get in Boulder in the wintertime? Oh, well, we can get. Mm, we don't have many days around zero, but I would say average is between maybe 20-ish. Yeah, our winters have been warm the past few years. Like, I don't, like, 10 years ago, we had some evil cold winters, but then now it's like. Oh, yeah. Like, in the winter, and I'm kind of, like, looking with trepidation going, is the season going to start? Before I know. That was us last year. We didn't even have snow. We always have snow around Halloween. We didn't even have snow until I think the following January, other than just like minor little things, but it was weird. Wow. Yeah. It, it's surprising. It gets, uh, I mean, you're, Bill, you're north of us uh, here in Vermont, but we're we always. Are you? Are you near Burlington or? We're south of Burlington by about an hour. Um, so, but yeah, we, we typically have at least a couple of weeks where it's like hovering around zero. Maybe mm. it will get up to 10 uh, Fahrenheit. I'm not, I don't know the, the, uh, Oh, I can measure them both. I just can't convert between the two to save my ass. All I know <laughs> is when you get down to minus 38, it doesn't matter what you measure no. in. Right. <laughs> That's true. But it's cool. We're about an hour's drive north of Buffalo. So we're on the, like, literally I can look south and I can see Niagara Okay. Niagara, Niagara. Oh God, what's the name of the town on the other side of the American? I can't remember. Ni uh, oh wow. Yeah, I can't remember. Ni Niagara, not Niagara Falls. Um, no, it's it's all, it'll be on the shore. And I can't remember the uh, Lewiston. No, not Lewiston. Um, but, 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 um, <laughs> we know what the village is. So the good people. Yeah. Who live there, we're we're we're, <laughs> we're not trashing you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but Buffalo, I'm about an hour's drive north of Buffalo. So um, I don't, yeah. I, I haven't driven, I can't remember drawing a line across where I kind of fall. Uh, I, we, you might be a bit south of us. You might be a bit north of us. I can't. Oh, remember. that's true. Based on the, the latitude yeah. lines. Um, well, you know, I, I remember an episode of the CCR. I think it was. I, well, I, I actually don't remember which episode it was, but you guys talked about the workhorse cameras mm. and some of those that really survive in the cold. And I believe it was, you know, you talked about the Nikon, uh, the FEs and the FMs and all that. And I'm not, I'm not a Nikon shooter. Right? The only Nikon camera that I have is a, a one touch or action touch. It's an un underwater camera. Um, so that's about as Nikon as I've, I've gotten. But one camera that I do love is the Minolta SRT 102. Uh, oh, a that's a lovely that I camera. True love, truly love it. And I saw your post on a on the Camerosity Facebook page. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was maybe at a, a table on at, at an outside diner or something like that. Yeah, that's my local coffee shop that I go to. Uh, nice. So, what is it about the SRT 102 that you like? Uh it's a simple it's a simple camera, and again, from the technology standpoint, it's sort of like like the SRT series had a long lifespan. Like I own a pair of SRT 101s, one chrome, one black, um, a black dial chrome one from the 60s and the black ones from the early 70s. Uh, In some ways, Minolta was sort of ahead of the game and they were always sort of 
pushing the envelope a bit because their CLC system metering system was almost like proto matrix metering before matrix metering was even talked about. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that stuff sort of carried on through into the XE7 and the Minolta's ill-fated XK Pro body. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a story of the XK and Nikon later on. But the SRT, they're, they're simple cameras. They, the form factor is just right. And the Minolta Roker glass renders color beautifully. And a lot of people tend, don't, and we, we did a Minolta episode, a couple of Minolta episodes with Marwin from Silver Green Classics. Mm-hmm. And he told us, yeah, Minolta had its own glass factory. Mm-hmm. And they sold glass blanks, like lens blanks, to uh, different camera manufacturers around the world, including Leica, like before wow. they started their um, engineering partnership or whatever you want to call it in the 70s with the R3, R4 onwards. Right. It, 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 in which case, they were even sharing some lenses in MD mount. Do, do you know, um, so I, I know with my, uh, with my, uh, Takamar 51.4. It's got that yellowing on the rear element from the thorium. Thorium, yep. Do you know if the Rokor lenses, if any of them had any of that? Not uh, with this. Uh, ooh, I have a 58.14 on the black dialed SRT. I should check that, but not that I've noticed. Okay. And I think really the only thorium len- where the uh, lenses I have are the Canon Super Takamar 51.4. Uh, the SMC, not so bad. I, yeah. I do have that IKEA LED desk lamp that throws off a good UV. And, and I have a Canon FD 35F2, like an early chrome nose version, which um, don't even think of fi- finding where I live. You can't have it. <laughs> it weighs like a boat anchor. But again, it, it it's radioactive. And it's just sort of the yeah. point. I try cleaning it, but it wouldn't. And I just like, okay, built-in yellow filter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I I love my uh, SRT 102. Um, I've got, in fact, I <laughs> I love it so much that I ended up buying the, uh, I think it's the European equivalent and the Japanese equivalent, the 303 and the 303B and the Super. All mm. three are the exact same camera, just different. Uh, yeah, you got all the labels. Also- Geographic like model numbers, and it's like yeah, you need to go to the Roker files. I've got like a like a spreadsheet that sort of says this is what this is in this market, and I'm like, <laughs> and why they did that, I have no idea. Uh, no um, idea. <laughs> I did that for a little bit with some of their camera models in the 80s and 90s, like the N90s in the U.S. is F90x everywhere else. But oh, it's a, wow. <laughs> it literally is the same camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, just two letters have changed, but the model number, it's basically the same camera. And all the specs and everything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. They just, like, changed the, the model number. And I, I don't know the logic behind that, uh, mm. other than confounding some collectors. Like, SRTs, yeah, I... I, I my Minolta journey is a weird one. I had like an SRT 202 and a Minolta XE7 and a whole bunch of Minolta glass. My brother, in a fit of downsizing because he was moving houses, sold his Minolta gear. A year later, he was 
along with his Leica re, uh, SLR systems, which he had two Leica Flex SLs, an R4, and I think an R6, and a whole boatload of R glass, three cam, and two cam. And, you know, the classic sellers or Morse kicked in a few short years later. I gifted him because I wasn't shooting any of my Minolta at the time. And I thought, you know what, Alex, here's your Christmas present. Mm-hmm. He was he was giddy because he was like, yay, I have this back. <laughs> then four years later, I, I stumbled across my XE7, which had a, uh, the frame advance was sticking. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I was sort of looking around going, who can fix this? Because my local repair techs took one look at it. And one of them just sort of screamed, get that thing out of my shop. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he, he was a mechanical SLR guy. Electronics, he was just scared. It's, it's a mechanical issue. Yeah. Oh, no. Anything with circuit boards, I, I yeah. So I sent it to Gary's camera in Illinois. And again, it was pretty cheap. And I'm like, okay. Mm. <laughs> but he but did he... an amazing job. The camera works flawlessly. And I've sent a couple of Minolta XDs down to him. The, uh, the an XD, uh, Black XD11 and, and the Chrome XD to have him over service those. Okay. And they work great. And maybe uh, after the shows, you can uh, give me the. Um... Maybe his website. I can put it in the show notes. Oh sure. Unless well, he doesn't want any. Uh... <laughs> oh, I don't think he'll say no to that. Like I, I've not talked. Okay. To him. I just send him a, a letter along with the camera and a lovely, well-packed box saying, "Yeah, this is this is it. This is the model number, the serial number of nice. it. And this is the problems." Cool. And then cool. That's cool. like uh, probably four days after receipt, saying, "Yeah, done this, this, and this. You owe me this. Pay me by PayPal." Done. And then nice. a week and a half later, the camera returns. Wow. Nice. <laughs> a speedy. Yes. A, I don't know if it's just him or he has minions. <laughs> well, Julie, what's your next question? Well, I got to say, I don't understand a word that anybody's saying. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest and be like the one person who I'm like, I know what a camera is, and that's what I know what it is. So all of this talk about lenses and glass and different models, I looked back because I was like, Mario gave me a Minolta. I don't really like it. I'm also (laughs) unpopular because I don't like 35 millimeter cameras, but I have a 303. Oh, that's the European. um, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know much about it. But you know a lot about it. I've been listening to the classic camera revival and going, wow, there's way too many details here. Like, it's totally yeah. over my head. Um, I'm wondering, what do you think about more? Do you think more about cameras and lenses and the technical specs of them? Or do you think more about taking pictures with them? I'm more... I would say maybe 35% the tech specs and what they can do and more taking the pictures with them. It's more like, it's like the one hand, it's like, well, what can this camera do and what kind of circumstances I can use it? Because some will just say January, they'll just say, nope. And uh, you just sort of look at that and it's like, okay, uh, they're lovely to shoot with, but certain times of the year, if you're in the 
northern part of North America or in the mountains. You know, they, they kind of stay on the shelf until spring comes around. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's more like, what film stock am I going to use? Where am I going? What's the light going to be? Well, that kind of answers another one of my questions that was about, like, how do you pick which one you're going to use? Because, like, I, I just, I've only been taking pictures for six or seven months. No, okay. So I uh, don't. I really don't know. It's not because I'm not interested. I just don't know yet. But oh boy, when I really think about it, I'm like, which camera will will be the tool that can do what I'm trying to do? So it sounds like your thought process is similar but educated. Yeah, pretty much. So say for example, today I was I went for a walk to downtown Oakville, grab a cup of coffee. Uh, so I took my Nikon F100. I just had a 51.4 prime lens on it. And I was loaded up with some Ferrania P30 because it's super sunny out. And that's it. It's like I didn't even take a camera bag and it was just over my shoulder. That's it. So it sort of comes down to, and it's like uh, my girlfriend lives in the city. I live in, in suburbia. So we alternate every other weekend. So when I go into the city, of course, I'm packing camera gear. Uh, but I choose carefully what I'm going to take with me because... I'm also taking, you know, change of clothes to cover from Friday to Sunday. So it's like yeah. you then say, okay, I'm not running with the super heavy stuff because I've got to navigate uh, commuter rail and subway. And it gets busy. Like, Toronto is like bigger than Chicago busy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It does. It doesn't look it, but it, yeah, you realize, oh, it's not a small town. <laughs> it, it goes goes and it goes and uh, i've had friends who uh flown in and it's like you know you sit there going okay where is the downtown we're still in the descent <laughs> well i've never been to toronto before been to montreal uh been across the border from like just across the border from you know the niagara falls area but not to toronto so oh have you been be to interesting Ni ever been to niagara on the lake uh oh man <laughs> So it's just north of Niagara Falls, like Bill Manning from Studio C41 loves that town. And he's made noises about doing a road trip up in the fall. It is it right across the basically right across the border uh, from the American side? Yeah, like, okay. literally, you know, there's the fort on the American side. You can literally see Niagara on the lake from it. Okay. Yes, that's where we were, where I went. I, it was like 1996, I believe. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little while, <laughs> but I yeah. remember it being kind of a trendy place. It still is. It's like, it's a theater town, so it does get busy in the summer. I like going, oddly enough, I like going down in the off, when it's more the off season. Like uh, my friend John did sort of a creative weekend retreat. So a whole bunch of us rented a house. Nice. I only I only went down for the day because I had some family commitments I had to deal with. But it was like it was all set up for Christmas and it just looked like a Hallmark Christmas movie. That's like, wow. And it's like, OK, this is almost laying it on too much. And it's like, <laughs> is this like one of those sort of weird Twilight Zone episodes done by uh, oh, what's his name? Not Rod Serling, but oh, oh, uh, at TV. Yeah. Gordon Peele. 
It's like it's like a it's like a Hallmark Christmas week. You just can't leave town. <laughs> exactly. You're stuck. <laughs> You're stuck and you have to be happy all the time. <laughs> oh, it's funny. But yeah, it, it's yeah, the Toronto's a fun it's a fun city. It's a city of neighborhoods. So I, I kind of cool. say anyone who wants to come visit, it's like you know, feel free to find one of us from the CCR. We'd be happy to show you, or at least steer you in the right direction. If we're if we're not available, if we're available, and it's like, well, yeah, this is our next photo walk. Feel free to come join us. Uh, well, pretty soon, I think uh, our family we're going to get um, passports, and mm-hmm. so hopefully we'll be able to get up to Canada. I mean, it's so close by. Why not? You know. Oh hell! It's like, you don't want to you don't want to fly. No, <laughs> and no. human want to fly right now. You you want to check baggage. You don't want to check baggage. No, it again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Suzanne, what's your next question? Um, I'm sure that it is hard to answer this question. Um, you probably like different cameras for different reasons. But if you like, do you have a like? Favorite, next favorite. <laughs> like if you could pick three, what are your top three from your collection and why? Top three. Yeah. I would say medium format would be Roly- the Rolleiflex. Okay. Because it's like, it's the Rolleiflex, the cleaner glass. <laughs> I can go wrong. <laughs> I have two. I have a Series E and a, an F Type 2. Both have 75-35 planar lenses. Uh, the second camera I love, or I should say series of cameras, I would probably say it's a tie between the Olympus OM-1 and OM-2 because of it's the size. If you're, if you're traveling, you definitely want an OM1 or an OM2 because and just three lenses and you're pretty much set because you really don't want to lug a Nikon F5 with a 28 to 70 and the <laughs> 8 unless you've been doing CrossFit like Suzanne has been doing. <laughs> I still don't want to. <laughs> so yeah, in, in three it's like Nikon. It's like a, it's a tough call because they're all amazing. Uh, and again, it sort of stems my dad gave me his Nikon F, and it's sort of like, but you know, for saying the favorite favorites of them all, I would probably say the F2 because it's it's all the system as camera of the Nikon F, but it takes silver oxide batteries, which are easy to find. Mm-hmm. Any hardware drugstore, gas station, maybe yeah. uh, in the world, you can find Energizer 357s or right. Uh, of and you've got different meter heads that you can use pre-automatic indexing glass or ai and ais glass no problem yeah ultimate the the ultimate like you can build it your way right 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 that's awesome to know thank you cool well mine i guess is kind of uh my next question is kind of similar to that um but it comes out the the question comes out of uh, more of an appreciation for lenses now. Like I when I started with my f- photography journey, I kind of started in digital, mm-hmm. and uh, I was always 
I guess, consumed or more interested in the camera bodies, the specs, the dials, and especially when I got into the Fujifilm uh, X uh, system, like the cameras are just beautiful, but I didn't think that much about lenses. Like I didn't really think about lenses, even when I got into um, film photography, I I didn't think about them that much. I thought more about the the cameras, the camera Mm -hmm. bodies and the film, but more so recently, uh, I've been thinking a lot about lenses and uh, not only trying to figure out how they work and what what different you know the the different different nomenclature of lens mm-hmm. I guess what, what they mean like the f stop numbers what that all means and all that and trying to learn more about that but also just how good they are and how different they are so well, yeah. from, from your perspective what are some standout lenses that you've either used or desire to use oh god used the nikkor p105 2.5 or actually the nikkor 105 2.5 lens and its various manual focus incarnations uh, the pre-automatic indexing version uh if you get the pre-k style which is sort of a 1970s designation they totally redid their lens lineup around 1975 I want to say, but pre that where they had the metal scalloped lens grip, uh, the 105.25 was a sonar design, so it was very flattering for portraits. Uh, and if you wind up with an Icon DF, you can use that lens on it. Uh, and probably the the Z series mirrorless if you have the right adapter. But from the 70s onwards, they kind of flipped the lens uh, formula to a, the sort of a Schneider Zenitar style, which sort of corrected a bunch of weird little quirks. So it's sort of like they're both great lenses. It's just character. Mm. That's it's true. Like, do you want a technically perfect look or do you want a look that kind of harkens back to a less, as I call, a slightly less weird tone? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was listening to, uh, I think it was, I don't remember which episode, but it was uh, of the Classic Lenses podcast. Mm-hmm. And they were they were talking about, it might have been, it might have been either the 135 millimeter um, episode where they went all into 135 millimeter and, you know, its history, or the Vivitastic, uh, the one about Vivitar lenses. And so someone was talking about the sharpness and the other guy said, well, if sharpness is the only thing you consider, he's, he was considering less about sharpness and more about the character of the lens. Mm -hmm. That sounds like that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Technically perfect versus character driven. It's a sweet spot or it's like the Vivitar series one, it's series, especially the early ones that were made by Kieran Komen Takina. They're ama- it's amazing glass. Like generally, I have a rule of thumb. If you're sort of at, you know stuck in the weeds, wondering, okay, what do, what should I look at? Even if you don't shoot Pentax, go to Pentax forums and look at their reviews. Mm. Pentax shooters are very particular with their lenses. <laughs> it's true. And they, they've reviewed a bunch of third-party glass, and then it's like then you can realize. Oh, okay. This is what I'm getting into, mm-hmm. and if it passes muster with this crowd, I just have to find it in the lens mount that I'm going to use, be it Canon FD, 
Minolta MD or MC uh, or a permutation of the Nikon mount. Right. Of the F mount. So it's like use that as your starting point for information and go from there. It's handy little tip. Even if you don't shoot Pentax, go look at their reviews for the third party and you'll you might find some gems. Exactly. I'm going to have to make a pause here for just one moment. So. I think one of my parents just came over. Uh-oh. I'll just, I'll edit this out real quick. Uh, what was that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, one moment. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I have a question while he's gone. Okay. For you about lenses. This SRT 303, Mario gave it to me because I I want to take um like really close up pictures. Macro. And he gave me this. I don't even know what it is. What's it say? It's a 22 millimeter. Oh, he's back. He can tell you what it is because I don't understand the numbers on it. I wish I did. But I asked him what the what would be like the best lens that would give me the superpower for really close up pictures. And he didn't really know because he doesn't do a whole bunch. But this is the only one that we have. And it does say macro on it. OK, so the focal length is, is it like a 50 mil or? The 28. Oh. It's a 20, 28, one, one to four. So it's not like a, it's not like a one to one macro. It's only a one to four, but it, you can get, still get pretty close. It was super cheap, super cheap. It was like 20 bucks for that lens, but I've, I'm, I've enjoyed it. Um, I, I've tried looking up the information on that lens and I can't find anything online. Oh God, we did a, a CCR episode and it was like, uh, the real cheap and cheerful lenses, you you know, the ones you find in a camera show, the mm -hmm. box down below the table. And, yeah. Hey, you can have it for 10 bucks. Doesn't matter what currency it is. Here you go, 10 bucks. Get it off my hands. So I went up the Sun Zoom telephoto lens that I had to research like mad who made it. It was so murky. It was like, I wish I had information. And I just... In my segment, I'm going, it does the job. It could use a lens hood because, again, it's when you've got lenses that are, you know, on average 50 years old, they're going to be more prone to light flare than modern lenses with, you know, state of the art coding technology. So you're, yeah, you can realize it's, it, it, it's like you're, you're going to have 50 year old lens issues in terms of performance. It's like, yeah, lens hood would be great. So it's like, but that's about it, right? I mean, it, like you said, it does the job and, it might not be the most technically perfect, but when you're shooting film, sometimes that technical perfection hardly matters. You know? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's it's kind of funny because we had uh, I was interviewing uh, another Canadian film photographer from the West Coast, John Roberts. He loves character lenses, mm -hmm. and he shoots a lot of Leica, so he likes he likes shooting with screw mount lenses of a certain age. Pops them on an adapter so he can throw it on his like a M body, and it was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't want perfection, I want character. Yeah, same. I agree. I really agree. <laughs> I um, want 
a macro lens for a Pentax K1000 that someone gave me. <clears throat> now I have to use this one because I don't have a macro lens that will fit it. So if you have a recommendation for one that would would work with that camera. Oh, you probably want to run with Pentax made, I think. Uh, I think probably an SMC Pentax M50, I want to say 3.5 macro. Like all my macro lenses are in the 50 millimeter range. Like I, I know they're 90 millimeter. I'd probably, uh, which will probably get you even closer. It depends how close you want to go uh, in terms of macro photography. I don't so, know yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those I'd have to take you to my one of my local shops and say, and, and then introduce you to my camera pusher, Joan. <laughs> They'll probably have something in stock for you but maybe you, when we visit uh visit canada next we can uh, come come see yeah. you and you can take us to the shop <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, i know the pentax k1000 so i don't know but i've heard they're not like a great camera they're like more of a learning one but i have an emotional attachment to mine because it was given to me like shortly after i started taking pictures so you know what? K1000s, they're, they're about as simple as they get. It's basically a box with 35 millimeter film. It's got a meter that works. And there's a mountain of K-mount glass out there. Like, I only, I'm only familiar with Pentax because I do have a K-mount kit that I'm slowly, you know, I'm probably going to gift, like I said earlier, I'm probably going to gift to and my either my niece or nephew whoever shows interest in photography uh they'll get the kit but there's also rico glass there's Sheenon, uh and of course tamron with their adopt all system there's stuff out there's options for you out there and it's like one of those you may have almost too much choice in some regards. You just have to do some research and, and sort of figure out what works. See, the best thing is see examples of what the lens took and is saying, is this what I want? Yeah, mm. that's true. Now, uh, thinking about macro lenses, um, do you know that, what is the thing, and, and I, don't know, I don't know if you know this, I don't, I certainly don't, but what is the, the one-to-one, one-to-two, what, what does that all mean? Oh, shame! I, it shames me to say this. I have no clue. <laughs> That's no shame whatsoever. I'm, macro isn't, isn't exactly. I, I have macro lenses. I do uh -huh. it because in case I want to, you know, my local botanical gardens. I'll shoot some flowers in peak mm -hmm. season on Ektar 100. Yeah. But am I hardcore about that? No, not really. Like I'm more of a landscape street you know, landscape street streetscape photographer. Yeah. Urban landscape. The reason why I was Yeah. The reason why I was asking is that that lens that she was showing you, the twenty twenty eight millimeter um I think it's F two eight, but it's a one to four, but I've used it and you can get, you know, like <laughs> maybe two inches away from something and it oh. will come out nice and crisp mm. the, the the images will so i don't to me that seems macro but i've seen you know uh lenses on ebay that are labeled one-to-one -one and it's like you know this is a true macro 
So I wonder what the difference is between something that feels like it's a macro lens versus what is a truly macro lens? Like what what kind of an, an effect would a real true one to one macro give you? I have again, I'm probably not the guy you want to ask on that. Okay. I'll just be It'll honest. be interesting. <laughs> no worries. I have a lot of stuff. Be... Not that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll have to maybe separately do our research and figure out what it means. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Suzanne, what's your next question? Um, Bill, do you do darkroom printing too? Yes. Okay. I currently run with a DeVere 504 and larger with a condenser head that's about 40 years old. I don't print in the summer because it's time for shooting. I tend to print in the spring and fall. Okay. When the weather, well, I call shoulder season because in the wintertime I ski, summertime, well, of course, you know, we're up playing. But spring and fall, especially, you know, the sort of the end of November into December before ski season happens, it's kind of gray, gloomy, and you just really don't want to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Perfect time. Uh, perfect time to do it. Uh, I actually have to do some printing. Uh, I did some family portraits, and I want to give a bunch to my mom. She's again in a nursing home, and unfortunately, she's living with uh, moderate Alzheimer's. So that's a good sort of like a photo with an explanation. Yeah, this is your yeah. son daughter-in-law this is your grandson this oh, that's your a great daughter. idea because otherwise it's sort of like yeah just a sort of reminder yeah she can always reference back yeah cool so this is gonna sound so dumb but if you say condenser head does that mean it's black and white versus the color yeah, it's strictly a black and white you can, okay you can print color with it but you're fiddling with switching filters a lot Whereas a color head larger, you've got the the three colors you can dial in, the equivalent of a condenser head. I do have a Lights V35 autofocus and larger, strictly for 35 millimeter, and I really should use it a lot more often because it's a lot easier than the DeVere. The DeVere is, it's a boat anchor. I, I am missing the condenser heads for medium format. It's a little off alignment for medium format for some reason. Like the lamp is a little, uh, it burns one corner too much. Oh, which, I never even thought about that. And the problem is I'm living, where I'm living right now, I'm not going to be living forever. So I kind of like, I'm planning to down nest, downsize into like a two bedroom plus den condo with multiple bathrooms. And one of those bathrooms, uh, you can sort of turn it into a dark room. The, mm. But it's like the Devere will not be coming for the ride. It's like, is it big? Uh, let me put you this way: um, if you want to make a mob informant disappear in Lake Ontario, <laughs> here will do the job. Okay, it's big. It's yeah, it, it, it's big. It's heavy. You need two people to move it. Oh, wow! I have yeah. a bathroom. B thirty five. You can I, you can put on a you can carry, and. I'm probably, I only print 35 at the moment. I would love to get, I'll probably keep the V35 and get another and larger that can maybe do both at some point and just trade in the DeVere. Thank goodness none of us are mob informants, right? No. (laughs) The problem is getting parts for a DeVere and larger, think of it as owning like a, a, 
a Bentley in small town Vermont. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> Where do you oh, get you it service? You're gonna have to put that on a flatbed and send it to Boston, kid. Right. <laughs> exactly. I, I said that. It's like it's sort of like owning or owning a vintage Aston Martin. Like, oh, you want the oil change? Yeah, you got to pop it on the flatbed and it goes to a major city to the nearest oh. Aston Martin dealer. That's the problem with Devere because it's a, it's a British brand and it's like I'm looking for the con- the medium format condenser heads, but it's like yeah, good luck. I think the last time I saw a listing for that on eBay was like five years ago. Oh, so it's wow. not just a different lens. Well, the different lenses. So you've got like a big monster ones for four right. by that you don't want to drop on your toe. You've got 35 mil, which is smaller, and then the medium format ones are in between, and you sort of interchange them out. Oh. On the format you're going to do, which technically they make brilliant prints, but if you're missing parts, yeah. Okay, I don't think I even th- ever even thought about that because I have a lens. I have a 50 millimeter. You help me with that too. Oh yeah, well if you're using if you're using the the color head, all you need is the enlarging lens and that's it. I don't have a color head though. I have the Bessler. Oh okay. But I have. I mean, I know there's a big glass inside, but then I have a 50 mil for 35, and then I think it's an 80 or an 82 or something for medium. But it just goes in this, like you screw it in a plate and you pop it in. And yeah, it's funny because the Devere had multiple like enlarging, the sort of the the crystals inside. You have the enlarging oh. and plus. Okay. Add that you had to haul. It's a the the head on it is forty plus years old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And my brother got it for me for my birthday. I want to say ten years ago. Okay. Wow. Oh. No, even oh. long. I just I something new. No, it's not new. It, it's a really old. It's a it, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it was in a commercial darkroom. Okay. Oh, sweet. The guy I ran it held on to the his other the other Devere, but it had like the color head on it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, Devere itself is still in business, and they still actually make the same basic and larger. But wow. The, the 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 heads on them are far more high tech and okay. i just thought oh it you know kicks and giggles what does a new head cost and it's like oh no <laughs> no, no never mind yeah <laughs> i looked yeah. at I, th- I think it was silver green classics had an ad for a company called healand out of europe and then you had an led lamp conversion for older and larger. then i looked at the price for that and it was like no. <laughs> yeah. Suzanne, I've, I've got a, a quick question for you based on your question for Bill about um, enlargers. Uh, we have a Bessler 23C, okay. I think. And um, it, it, so it has a 50 mil lens for 35 mil mm. enlargements. And yes. I know an 80 or 85, 80, 80 or 82 lens would be for medium format. Do you have to do anything other than change the lens? Um, there's and, there's also a gauge on the height, which yeah. I, had to, I had to buy that. Mine, mine actually came with all kinds of missing things too. I had to buy the tray for the um, filters. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but yeah, there's like a gauge and it says if you're doing 35, set it here, set the whole thing here. But that moves all the time. So I'm not quite sure I understand why I'm doing that. Yeah. But then you have to move it down first. So I think that one can go up to 
six by seven. Possibly. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think ours goes up to the the um, baby speed graphic size, the two and a quarter by three and a quarter. Okay. And six by seven is yeah. on the little sidebar. It says that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all yeah. I have to do, Mario. I just change. I change out the lens and I adjust the height and then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I might look for one of those when it comes time when I move. Yeah, it's a nice and larger. I like it. Mine yeah. has. Go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I had a hard time because when I my very first enlarger does have the color head, and I was so frustrated because I was like, I, I mean, I didn't even know anything about darkroom, so I didn't know where to set the color knobs, and finally, like, I just want black and white. That's all, that's all I want. I don't want any of this color head thing because I can't figure it out. I want to just buy my my filters and put them in the tray and. But I still have it, so. Yeah, well, the, thing with the color head, you can dial in the equivalent of a black and white filter. It's just. I, I didn't know how. I couldn't figure it out. I was so frustrated. It has a chart, but the problem is, I think the brand you, you showed me, I the information for it is like. Non-existent. Well, I wouldn't say non-existent. It's just okay. not available. Okay. <laughs> it felt not available for easy reference, which right. is code for yeah you're trolling camera shows for a manual <laughs> yeah yeah and i actually think i no did i find one i can't remember but yeah i was super frustrated with it and then once i got the black and white head and got all the pieces to you know get the filters and stuff it was much more like doable for me but i still have it i'd like to go back and revisit it because i think now i would be better at it yeah suzanne does yours have a, a variable contrast filtering at all no, no, I okay. put in actual like they're like gel filters. Right. Okay. Well, ours, ours, the one that uh, Julie was talking about uh, early on in the podcast. Um, ours has uh, variable contrast it, it, filtering, I guess, and you just dial <laughs> in. It, you can even do, yeah, it has a contrast contrast filtering. You can do, uh, you know, to make one image, you can say expose the paper with say a five contrast plus oh. five and then a maybe a two what? contrast oh, and so it will <laughs> it's it's so fun because you can i got it very all, cheap too <laughs> it's yeah. almost like importing it into well we don't have lightroom but into gimp and just messing with the contrast but doing so uh -huh. truly in an analog way it's so fun yeah so fun. that's really cool yeah because i think the only way i was able to adjust my contrast was to mess with the color dials Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I, I just didn't have enough knowledge at that point to even be able to make an educated guess where I think now I probably have a little more knowledge. I could be like, OK, I put magenta here or whatever. Um, but we're yeah. all on a trajectory, aren't we? We are. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I know for a fact when I start using my lights again, V35 again, I'm going to have to reacquaint myself with that that technology. Like I've got the yeah. chart on the side of the I taped to the side of the enlarger from Ilford. But it's like one of those, okay, I haven't used this in a while, so I have to like, you know, it's the clue mm. of stumbling around in the dark until you kind of realize, oh, okay, this is how. <laughs> well, I've only got one more question, Bill, uh, for, you know, for the actual questions. And that is, if you had just one place, one camera, and if it's uh, not a rangefinder, or at least not a interchangeable if it's an inter interchangeable lens camera let's say and you had one lens and if it's a film camera you had one film stock where would you go and what would you shoot 
New York City, Nikon F2 AS, 35 F2 AIS lens, and probably, and again, this is on the premise, I'm flying in and out. I want to have my film processed in New York City before I leave, because we all know what CAT scanners can do to film. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably like Fuji Superior 400. Nice. Just a, it's a consumer stock. It's not going to set you back a fortune because it's lovely know, film. Yeah, and it you know I usually expose mine at around two fifty ISO, and it just looks it looks gorgeous. So it can handle all sorts of abuse that you're going to dish out at it because it's just sort of like if you're going there, you're going. And I set a slightly wider than normal lens because you are in kind of a constrained space in some regards because mm-hmm. you're in a city and you just wind up focusing more what's around at you at street level yeah and maybe landscapes to some point but if you're just using one lens one film then it's just sort of like you go okay what can i shoot with this yeah and then you can start looking around for that for the opportunities right mm-hmm. you know speaking about new york city if you happen to go and you happen to visit the uh the world trade center the the new building mm-hmm. um if you go to the observatory um you're Everything you have to take off everything and put it through a, a metal detector, right? Well, oh. not not no a scanner. Oh. So just just be aware. We had to when we went there. We asked for a hand check, and they were like they they were totally fine with it. In fact, I think the guy that that did the the hand checking said, "Oh, there's some camera stores nearby. You should check you know check those out." And we're like, "Cool, thanks." Some Broadway but, uh, that was near my brother. My brother worked in New York City for a couple of years, ten okay. years ago, wow. when he was at Deloitte. And uh, it's funny because he used to go to Adorama and be an H all the time. But it's like there was one literally almost just around the corner and down the street from his apartment. Oh, on wow. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know about this. That's <laughs> that would be funny. dangerous. I would be in too much trouble if that was me. <laughs> oh, there, back in 2012, there we visited this one store. It it went. It, they closed down a year later before I I, I went back. Mm-hmm. called lens and repro so it's like just off union square and you, you i think you walk down 12th street there was no store level street front for this oh. door you walked into this building it's like a tiny lobby and then there's an elevator and you have to go up to the third third or fourth floor so the elevator is a door would would close in the front but then you got to turn 90 degrees and the doors would open again and there you are in the store Wow. It's just because space is such at a premium. And it's like stuff there. It was like a candy store. And I, there, in hindsight, it's like, I wish I had more money. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was a yeah, few things that I, I probably would have grabbed. But it's like, you know, then you're just sitting there going, well, I got to I gotta lug this back to Canada with me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back before the prices of uh, gear started going up, right? <laughs> oh, it, well before that. It was back when the Canadian dollar, dollar was at par with the U.S. dollar. So it was kind of oh. like, I, yeah, we were kids in a candy store at the time. Uh. Now we're down to like 78 cents U.S. Oh, uh. it's kind of like us with Britain, you know. Oh, God, yeah. Anything with Britain is expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, um, Julie and Suzanne, do you guys have any any more questions? No. I have one last one. Okay. 
What have you always wanted to try, but you haven't gotten to yet? Either a camera or a process like glass plates or. I want. There's a story. A few years ago, the Toronto Film Shooters Face, like I'm part of the Toronto Film Shooters Facebook group. It's sort of the unofficial home for classic camera revival. They did sort of a, a large format lug around event in Hyde Park, which is sort of Toronto's answer to Central Park. I did not have a large format camera. I had my Mamiya C220F, which is, well, it's hefty. It sort of carries, qualifies as lug around. And I had my tripod with me. Uh, James Lee loaned me his speed graphic and a couple of sheets of FOMA 100. I have no way of scanning 4x5 at home. I have an, a, v, a, a V600. I love to get an 850 someday so I can do But it's like I, I think I shot two frames of that. I burned through two frames and realized at the time, you know, it was sort of like you ever get a situation where you're dropped into the deep end and saying, oh, oh I, I really don't know how to swim. It's like <laughs> learning to swim while it's like, or, you know, folding the parachute after you've left the plane and you got to open it again. It's, it, you're sort of left, dumped in the deep end of a process and large format is something different. I was trying to focus on ground glass and it was like, I, it, I did not bond with it. And it's like, if anything, I would like to try that again as sort of, but at my own speed, as opposed to, here's this for a few hours. Oh, Don't knock yourself out. And that, but it's like, I have no means of processing at home because I've just, I'm really just set up for 35 mil and 120. So it's like, I had to hand it off. I even had to have the scans done by my friend. So it's like, like even Do trying you have to- a flatbed scanner. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a I've got a V six hundred, but it's, it only goes up to one twenty. Uh, That's what go, we have too. Yeah, so I, I scan to, my four by fives on ours. I use the reflective back panel. Oh. And so you can scan your four by fives with what you have. You have the same thing. You do that white that white thing you yeah, put yeah. on the lid. You just stick that on and change your setting to reflective and just put them on there close it and then you drag that little box around your okay if I'm you not, can I'm... understand my lack of the right oh, words, yeah i use four by five is what i am doing and that's all i have and i scan them at home if it, are you using like the native epson software because i use ViewScan, mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if i can do that or not mm. we yeah. just whatever match we don't have something fancy do we no it's the native uh epson scan yeah yeah but yeah it works i've heard a lot about um the fact that you can't do four by five four by five with uh the v600 and it's i mean you can't do it as a film in a you know they they don't have a film scanning tray like 35 or 120 but you still can like individually select yeah oh yeah you you can sort of crop the image and then focus in on that yeah it it really works with mine um and i use speed graphics oh nice so and uh, we develop it at home i use trays in the bathroom so you can in fact live that dream (laughs) without buying anything new (laughs) 
I'd have to look into that. Ideally, I'd love to trade up to an 850 uh, at some point, something yeah. a little more robust. But I, I haven't seen anything from Epson. I don't know what the stock availability is like in the U.S., but in Canada, Epson is back-ordered. Thank mm-hmm. you, chip shortage. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, I recently had to, well, thought I had to... Uh, buy a new uh, v600 because i thought <laughs> something was happening to mine it turns out that it, it was a very simple mistake that i was making with mm. the the scanning trays there's a certain couple of holes that you cannot cover with like i i covered it with tape to try to hold down the a and r glass because i had oh, some really oh. expired film okay. and it just wouldn't it did some weird scannings so i thought oh no something's wrong with it i called epson they they didn't have any answers, so I just ended up buying a new one. And turns out I didn't need a new one, so I had I have two, or you know we have two. Guys, you've got back Yeah, exactly, exactly. Double scanning. But but I couldn't find any brand new V600s anywhere. And this was uh, I think this past winter, probably because of the chip shortages. So I bought a used. I bought a mine. I bought used is a V700. Thing has worked like impeccably since i got it i've got a nice like we uh i'm on a virtual pub night chat with some friends and i uh we've got one uh, gentleman who's a member of the toronto film shooters even though he lives in vancouver he works in the motion picture industry as a cameraman but he shoots he shoots with his i think it's leica and i think one other camera i think canon a canon f1 i don't quote me anyway he managed to score a nikon cool scan uh film scanner about one with the usb draw uh ports which is what you oh. want you don't want the scuzzy <laughs> i don't even know what that one is the nikon cool scan is it a, must be a good one it's a good one nikon stopped making them 15 years ago okay but you'd need yeah. like new scan to make it work mm. okay because the thing, the beauty of ViewScan is they can support a ton of film scanners that you find one out in the wild. Uh, you could probably get it working, except for maybe the Pack-On, which is sort of like you need to mirror something like Leica, uh, Microsoft XP or something to make it work. And it's like, um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, Bill, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. I know you do a lot of podcasting with the CCR, so please say hello to all the fine folks at the CCR oh, for us. <laughs> by all means, uh, again, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, thank you for having me on. I had a great time. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Julie and Suzanne, thank you so much for helping with this uh, giant ship we have, the Gen X Photography Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And before we go, I want to get everybody's social medias. I oftentimes forget that. So we'll start with you, Bill. Where can people find you and your photography? Okay, you can find me on Instagram as WBSmith200. I post to Flickr as uh, also WBSmith200. You can find me in a variety of photography groups on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Flickr as BillSmith1, and my blog is Fun with Cameras. Uh, oh, God. Fun with Cameras. Uh, goes to show you how long I. Okay, here we go. Funwithcameras.blogspot.com. Nice. Nice, nice. 
Uh, Suzanne, where can people find your work? Um, best place is Instagram, and I'm b.roll.backup. And then I have a little link tree thing where you can connect to all my other, my website and whatnot. Nice. Julie, where can people find your uh, your stuff? Um, on Instagram, I'm JP Shoebox Picks, I believe. I tried to remember after last time when I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on Facebook with my name, just my regular name. Sounds good. And you can find my uh, work at Mario Piper on Instagram and on Flickr. I'm checking that right now <laughs> at uh, Mario uh, Piper as well. Um, I do love Flickr. Uh, it's a often underused. It's not. It doesn't have the popularity that Instagram has, but there, well, there are good things about Flickr that I really people, enjoy. People were, were complaining about well, how Instagram is evolving away from still photography to reels. Mm -hmm. Or trying to be another TikTok, and it's like, and they're bemoaning, I need a place for just for photography. And my first thought was, yeah, there is one. It's called Flickr. But again, mm -hmm. the problem is people don't want to spend the uh, the money for the annual subscription. And it's like, well, if you're going something, quote, for free on Instagram, um, you're the intellect, you're, th you're, you're the product, mm -hmm. <laughs> quote, unquote. Right. Yeah, uh, and I know there's a new app out there called Greenery that's in, still in beta stage. That it is geared for film photographers. Like I'm on there as W. B. Smith. Uh, I'm posting a wee bit. Yeah, and it, the big bonus with that one, it's still more in desktop stage. I think they have an app, but you got to download it from their site, not the Apple or Google Store. Okay. Um, hmm. It's an interesting platform. Will it take off? It'll probably take off maybe for film photographers. I don't know. Well, uh, well I guess if we use it, it will take off, right? <laughs> I hope it does. I hope it does. I'm on there too, Bill, and I I, I think it'd be great. I got, I, I'm sort of like Instagram is great for connecting people. Like, again, I wouldn't have met Lucy. Like, again, it's like I found her through Instagram. Then I saw her YouTube channel and what she was mm -hmm. up to with that. And then we had her on. And it was the same thing with Jess Hobbs. Like, I found... I, Oh, I think I found Jess on YouTube, then Instagram. And yeah. then we wound up recruiting her as a full-time member of the CCR. Yeah. Yeah. Which was so cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again, Bill. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Julie. And to all you wonderful pe people out there listening to this podcast, thank you so much for listening. And as always, keep those analog vibes alive. <laughs>